Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. It's my honor this morning to uh, share with us, and over the next uh, about three weeks, as Pastor John is away and getting some R&R. So we are continuing our uh, series in the Ten Commandments this morning. And our position, our, our, our premise with this series is that these commandments are a gift to us. These, these laws that were given to Israel many years ago as they are now a freed people, a new, newly established people, a covenant people with God, that these are still gifts to us today and still instructive for us today. And we can, in fact, delight in these commands, these Ten Commands, because... We believe they enable relationship, they enable a healthy posture towards God, and they enable healthy worship as well. These are, if you will, these are God's top ten. These are the foundation of his law. And these laws are expounded more throughout the the Mosaic covenant and the Mosaic law that we see through the rest of the Old Testament. But they reflect God's will and his intention for our life together, for our relationships together, and for our worship of God. We make a bit of a turn this morning in the commandments, however. So, so far we've been looking at laws that mostly deal with honoring God, with our pure worship, with worshiping Him in spirit and truth, having no other gods before Him. Even last week, you might remember, honoring God with our rest as we looked at the Sabbath. And the challenges that can be for us in our lives. But today we turn and we look at honoring one another. So what does honoring one another look like God's way? Well, we begin this morning with honor in our own families. And honoring one's parents was a very serious matter in ancient Israel and in the ancient world when these commandments were first Given. In fact, as you, look at, as you look at the law, the Mosaic law and the Old Testament, it says that anybody who curses their parents or anybody who attacks their parents, those offenses were among the list of offenses that could be punishable by death. And so this was taken very seriously. And really across the ancient world and in Greco-Roman society, the world of the Bible, children were, were often even legally bound to care for their aging parents, especially widowed mothers. And this was the case, certainly, in the time of Paul as he addresses the church at Ephesus. And so times have changed. Obviously, things look a little bit different in our society today. And as I look around the room, and as I think about our church I think that this, this, this idea, this topic of caring for parents, particularly caring for aging parents as they decline, hits home for many. I know that many, uh, I, I know many kind of inspiring stories across the church of people who are walking that very path even right now. So somewhere in the thick of that now, caring for parents in decline, parents who are aging, perhaps you were in the thick of that some, some years ago and they've since passed away, but you cared for them until the end. And that's, that experience, that journey, that challenge is, is part of the experience of, a, of adult children. 
Oftentimes when we think about this commandment, uh, however, some of us may think about the, the parent of young kids, little kids, adolescent kids who will invoke this command to get their kids to obey, right? Like, honor your father and mother, the Bible says. <laughs> wink, wink. And so, you know, you invoke this command to try to get your uh, kids to listen and obey and do what they're supposed to. But as we think about the command originally, and as I've said, it's fair to think that this was probably targeted to adult Israelites. And think about it. Think of some of the other commands, right? Children aren't likely to commit adultery. Children are not likely to murder. Children are not likely to covet their neighbor's wife or their neighbor's donkey or their neighbor's maidservant or manservant. And so we're thinking about adult children primarily. But there's application for whatever stage of life we find ourselves at. And we'll look at that a bit this morning as well. But we live in a broken world, too. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world in which there's sometimes less than ideal experiences between parents and their children. And so we acknowledge that. So sometimes, sometimes thinking about, how do I honor my parents? Sometimes there's, there's pain. There's a bit of a sting involved in that. How, how do, what does that look like? What does that even feel like? Some of us live with that sort of pain. How about when they've let me down? How about when they've abandoned me? How about when they've hurt me? Whatever our experience, wherever we are on that spectrum, in whatever stage of life we're in. This morning we see that God invites us to honor him by honoring our parents. There's three things I want to look at related to this this morning. And the first is that honoring one's parents is part of true religion. Honoring one's parents is part of true religion. Secondly, honoring one's parents is a lifelong calling. And then lastly, honoring one's parents is a challenge to all of us to live honorably. Let us first pray. God, we thank you that you are a perfect heavenly father to us. As we consider this text, Lord, we remember that. Lord, give us grace to obey you in this commandment. Whatever our experience has been with our own earthly parents, give us grace to honor them. Thank you for your perfect love for us and your grace which empowers us to do just this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, as I've said, honoring one's parents is part of true religion. First Timothy 5, which we heard read from Lori, gives us this, this strong message to the people of God about this calling and about this command. First Timothy is a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his, his protege in ministry, this, this guy named Timothy. And Timothy was charged with pastoring the church at Ephesus. And he was left behind there to do just that. And he was probably a young guy himself, maybe in his, in his 20s, as he's called to lead this church. But Paul writes these two letters to him and, and to be shared with that church. And he's addressing issues that are coming up in the life of their church. And he's offering them pastoral guidance around uh, some of those things. And at this time, the church was involved in supporting widows within its faith community. 
But one of the things they found is that sometimes it was difficult to sort out who was, who was really in need, who really needed the support of the church, and who had other resources. Basically, who had family who could pick that up and support them. So Paul first reminds Timothy about how to relate to various members in his church. And then in verse 3, we pick up. Paul says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family members and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask for God's help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it's a strong word from the Apostle Paul. The, the, the ancient world here, which is the, the world of the Bible, which we're considering, it didn't feature the kind of welfare systems, the, the, the kind of safety nets that we have today. And so caring for for aging parents, particularly widowed mothers, was the responsibility of the family. And as I said, in many of these societies, children were even legally bound to do this. So this was a societal norm, even in pagan culture. But it seems, because Paul's addressing this, it seems that some supposed believers, some supposed followers of Jesus were dropping the ball here. They were not fulfilling this spiritual and even social obligation that they had. And Paul, he calls this a faith issue. This is a faith issue, he says. Rather than having the church support these widows who had other resources, Paul didn't want, to pr- want the church to preclude those families from doing this spiritual calling and from caring for, caring for their own. And Paul's concern, ultimately, pastorally, is that Christians who would disregard this calling misrepresented the faith and would hurt their witness to a watching world around them. As we know, caring for aging parents looks different today. Uh, Unlike the world of the Bible, extended families don't often live together in in the home. And nowadays we have insurance products and, and savings accounts and social security and different things which support us as we're aging. And so society looks different in many ways. There's more options for specialized care for us as we decline and as we grow old. So it looks different, but as we try to apply the message of the Bible to today, my sense is that this looks like an active participation on our part as children to arrange care for our parents, to ensure that they have good living conditions, living situations, to look in on them, to provide financially for them even as needed, and to help them steward their resources. And so this would seem to be the application for adult children today. And hopefully, for most of us, that feels like a pretty natural reflex to to give back, to honor them in that way. But as I've said, in a sinful world, in a broken world, there's sometimes pain as we think about this. 
Sometimes pain in our parent-child relationship. Sometimes we feel a sting around this to fulfill this commandment. One of my earliest memories as a, a kid when I was probably just four or five was trips on Sunday afternoons to my grandfather's house in northeast Philadelphia. Our family would load up, my sister and I and my parents, and we'd drive about an hour and a half to go see him. And this was my mom's dad, and he, he was a World War II veteran. In fact, I'm told he was the first man drafted in Philadelphia for the war. And he, in fact, landed on the beaches of Normandy, France. But unfortunately, and perhaps part of his experiences, he lived the rest of his life as a pretty sour man, uh, as, as an alcoholic as well. He was often distant, if not absent, in the home uh, that my mom grew up in, my mom and her sister and her brother. And so there were some painful memories for my mom. He and, and my grandmother separated multiple times throughout their, their marriage. But when I was a young kid, we would, we would load up, we would go to the house, and my, my older sister and I, we would sit in his living room, and he didn't really quite know what to do with us little kids. So we'd all just sort of look at each other, stare at each other, and, and, and the Phillies game would be on, or the Eagles game would be on, on the, on the television. And I remember that we would get canned vanilla pudding. We would have canned vanilla pudding because the canned vanilla pudding was one of the many things from Meals on Wheels that he just could not stand. <laughs> so we'd sit around, we'd, we'd eat the vanilla pudding, uh, and, and because he had a, a, a aversion to some of this, this food that he was, was brought, my mom would load up his fridge, my mom would bring in some, some meals for his freezer, and she would tidy up for him. And My parents would also change his, his commode, which was in the living room, and straighten up. But there was never a warm welcome when we arrived. There was never a thank you. And my mom, as I said, had some somewhat painful memories. But for my mom and my dad, it was their faith. It was their Christian faith which compelled them to look in on Pops and to bring us kids around to see him and to visit him as well. But it was a difficult experience. Maybe some in the room have similar painful memories. It's hard to figure out what honoring your parents looks like feels like. For some of us, perhaps our, our, our parents continue to make choices that estrange them from us, that distance them from us. Perhaps it's sometimes toxic to engage with them. If that's the case for you, a, a few thoughts. But the first is to, to pray for them. Because I believe that as we, as we pray for someone, we naturally develop a love and a compassion and a heart for them. And so we pray for them. Also, if that happens to be you, when the temptation may be strong to vent about them to, to other people or to even slam them, resolve to keep that, that circle of individuals that you share honestly and process honestly with small. We also must be mindful about what we say in front of our own kids, too, 
about them. Lastly, just a last thought is to examine how those earthly parental relationships, which may have been less than ideal, how those things might influence your view of God, your heavenly Father, as well. And be open to healing in this area, in your heart, if you may need that. So caring for aging parents, as we've been talking about, particularly in their elder years, when their health is vulnerable, their finances may be vulnerable. This is an expression of true religion. But honoring parents is a lifelong calling across all the stages of our life. And I want to explore that a little bit now. The same Paul, the Apostle Paul, he addresses households, he addresses parent-child relationships in his letters, and he says of these relationships, for example, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Paul points out that this is the first of the Ten Commandments with a promise, which is so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. He goes on, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. So this is from Ephesians chapter 6. In a very similar text from Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. If you'll allow me here for a moment, I I, want to speak over-simplistically, if you will, to a few life stages about how we can honor parents. So looking around the room, I'm going to start with teenagers. And to teenagers, I would say, listen to your parents and communicate with your parents. Don't leave them guessing. Don't leave them in the dark. They generally have your best in mind. And so earn their trust. Earn their trust. So if you're a teenager, that's a bit about how you can honor your parents. Young adults, perhaps if you're a young adult, perhaps you're, you're on your own, you're a little bit more independent. Continue to listen to your parents. This does not mean that you have to agree with them. I remember when I was a young adult in my 20s, I remember starting to realize that I actually disagreed with my parents on some things as they sort of formed my own opinions, my own view, my own perspective on life. But I tried to continue to lean in to listen to them. And as I did that, I gained a good sense of where they were coming from, what their interests were. And it was clarifying to know how they felt. And so, whether you're young adults or whatever stage of life we're in, sometimes we have to chew the meat and spit out the bones, if you will. But we lean in to listen to them. Adult children, I've been addressing part of your experience so far, but particularly as your parents slow down and as they need special care, embrace the challenges of that calling and of that journey. Practically encourage them to have a written will and uh, other written statements to mitigate confusion and to mitigate contentious situations that could come up. Just as a way to honor them. The broken realities of life, there's instances when engaging with our parents feels toxic, 
feels sometimes hurtful, feels even abusive. But if that is your experience, if that is familiar to you, we have an incredible resource. And that resource is the family of God, the church, the people of God, this local church. Because the church is meant to be a a, a family of people, a family of spiritual mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers who can encourage us, who can speak life to us. And so if there's pain for you here, lean into the family of God. Lean into the grace that is yours in the community of faith. And and church, uh, in the same sense, Look around. Perhaps there's people in this church or around you who may need spiritual mothering, who may need spiritual fathering or friendship. And so look for that, as many have a painful experience in their past. So honoring our parents is first part of true religion. Secondly, it's a lifelong calling. But lastly, this commandment should serve as a challenge to all of us to live honorably. For parents here this morning, or even for those without children, the question for us is, how can we live in such a way that makes it easy, that makes it a joy for the next generation, for our children to care for us? Makes it easy for them to respect our life. And the best thing that we can give our kids or the next generation in general is a life submitted to Jesus Christ, is a life growing in the fruit of his Holy Spirit within us, the evidence of the Spirit of God in us. It is a growing awareness and a growing experience of the love of God for ourselves, our perfect Heavenly Father and how he loves us. In the season of life that I'm in with two small kids, two and and six, I am so grateful for the love of God and the grace of God to fall on. As I go through the challenges of parenting them, guiding them, disciplining them, and there probably are moments, there are moments where in my fatigue, in my desire for control, where I probably do exasperate them. I probably do push them. I probably underappreciate how they're uniquely made and how they're uniquely wired and how they uniquely operate. And so I do mess up. I do fail. But I also remember that I have a loving, perfectly loving Heavenly Father who forgives me, who loves me, but also who invites me to see my kids the way he sees them, through his eyes. And this is not to say that that following Jesus and, and knowing him makes me a superior parent. I am not making that claim. But what I do know is that it makes me a better parent than I would be without knowing Jesus, without knowing the love of God. I believe that's true for all of us. So the question, church, is are we submitted to Jesus Christ? Are we growing in the evidence of his Holy Spirit in us? Are we falling on his grace for the challenges of life, parenting, caring for aging parents, whatever it may look like for you? Because as we lean into his grace, 
He transforms us. We become more like Jesus, and we can live honorably before the next generation that follows us. And this is the greatest gift we can give them.